everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Textile Talks podcast. This is where we'll be chatting to experts and pioneers from the education arena and the workplace to learn about their strategies for breaking down barriers, unlocking potential, and creating equality for all. So if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to our podcast through your preferred podcast player or streaming service so you never miss an episode. Search for Textile Talks and you should find us. So today you're hearing from me, Donna Thompson, Marketing Manager at Texthelp, and Robin Christofferson, Head of Digital Inclusion at AbilityNet. So Robin is here to share with us his experiences as a blind professional working in the digital inclusion space. He'll talk to us about the impact of digital inaccessibility on him as a blind user, but also more broadly, the impact on organizations, their customers, their services, and their employees. So we'll also chat through some of the common challenges that organizations face when striving for inclusivity and explore some of the solutions that are available. So let's welcome Robin to the show. Robin, hi, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Hi, guys. I am absolutely loving. Well, I just love the accent. I am waiting. I'm just (laughs) anticipation of the next half an hour or so hearing that accent. Love it. But yes, hi, guys. Let's talk about accessibility. Great. Okay. I don't like to hear my accent on uh, any kind of radio, so I'm going to pretend my accent isn't out there. Um, Okay. Well, listen, Robin, we've worked, uh, we've been lucky to work um, with you on a number of occasions before. Uh, And one of the things that I remember you saying is that technology is more than just a preference and a feeling of liberation, that it's actually about life opportunities. So can you tell us a little bit about the role technology plays in your day to day? Absolutely. I think if you talk to anyone with a disability or impairment, they're going to be very enthusiastic about technology. Certainly, you know, people of younger generations, but increasingly with lockdown, older uh, users have embraced technology in some shape or form, whether it's just to, you know, stay in contact with friends or to get access to those important online shopping or kind of digital services that they're having to do remotely now. So technology Mm -hmm. is hugely empowering. And yeah, so I, I may have, uh, if, if anyone's heard this before, then apologies, but very quickly to go back to kind of the advent of the PC in the 1980s is when everything changed for people with disabilities because suddenly you had this thing that was super flexible. You had loads of choice about input and output choices from, you know, if you couldn't use a standard keyboard, there were loads of different types of keyboard, loads of different types of mouse. You could get a bigger monitor. You could change the colors, text size, make the arrow bigger, etc. And if you couldn't see at all, it could speak to you. And if you couldn't, you know, use your hands at all, then you could speak to it, that sort of thing. Uh, Redundancy is the technical name. And that really opened doors for people with disabilities. And now in the UK, 90% of jobs use a computer of of one shape or other. So that's, you know, the kind of level of empowerment that it has represented for people with a disability who often would have no other choice. You know, for me, Mm -hmm. with no vision, trying to do, uh, you know, my degree uh, and then, you know, being uh, someone in the workplace who had uh, who was able to you know have the skills that they had etc um, put to practice in you know a productive way in the workplace was all about technology uh, before technology you know that for, for blind people the main careers were piano tuning physiotherapy and basket weaving and you know that was pretty much it and if that didn't float your boat, then, you know, you, you had very limited choices. But with technology, um, 
you know, you can 90% of the jobs in the country are available, really. And probably the other 10% if you have the right adaptations in place. Uh, yeah, which is just as well, really, because, you know, pianos probably tune themselves these days if people have <laughs> you know, synthesizers and stuff and baskets are coming from China. And I mean, physiotherapy is probably more important than ever now as we've become more and more mm-hmm. sedentary and home based, etc. But um, yeah, so technology has really made all the difference. And for me as a blind person, um, you know, the, the the range of technology that I used to use was mostly specialist and mostly very expensive and not mm-hmm. particularly cutting edge because these are small organizations creating specialist solutions and they had, you know, they were limited in their R&D. But nowadays I'm mainly using mainstream technologies and they're very very inclusive so the main message to get out to every listener out there is that the technology in the hands of disabled people is there it's absolutely there in some cases in many cases it's kind of cutting edge and rolls royce you know apple for example Hmm. build in so much accessibility into their uh devices Mm -hmm. if you did a mind map or a kind of a spider diagram of the settings within ios for example well over half of those options are found under accessibility so you know it's that it's so there's so much power there we would actually invite every single person who uses an iDevice, for example uh, and a computer you know to just go and explore the settings and try and optimize it for their particular needs Mm -hmm. so yeah inclusion is is definitely um increasing kind of out of the box obviously there's always going to be a need for powerful specialist solutions like browser loud for example which can go that extra mile to what browsers uh offer you in a Mm -hmm. built-in uh way and similarly you're going to need to have specialist solutions for for many users but it's so amazing that now we are um, finding that we've really democratized inclusion by the uh, devices, the range of devices that are out there and the range of um, solutions that are already built in. So, yeah, very different place than even 10 years ago. It's great to hear, you know, the the solutions that uh, you mentioned, they are becoming more mainstream and they're not so specialist and uh, maybe not just as expensive anymore either. Um, So technology really can be a great enabler. Um, so I don't know if you mentioned websites there, but uh, something that you said triggered me. Um, would it be fair <laughs> when we're thinking about websites to say that inaccessible websites and, and apps even can hinder the opportunities that technology presents? Absolutely. So you've got two halves of the story. One is what disabled users are holding in their hand. And that, as I mentioned before, is very powerful, uh, relatively affordable and, you know, is is there for everyone and it's it's really quite mature but then it's the you know what are you accessing you're on a website you're you've downloaded an app you need this app for doing your banking you need this website for ordering your groceries etc and if that isn't an inclusive experience then the chain is broken and you know you're disempowered so absolutely and you know it's been a legal requirement I would argue it's kind of an ethical or moral 
imperative. You know, ev- everyone should want to do this because they want to make products that the people um, are able to use regardless of their disability or impairment. Um, otherwise, you know, you're going to single out people who are arguably the most vulnerable and the most in need and often with the least support, particularly in lockdown, um, with the fewest choices of being able to go out and, you know, get groceries in a more conventional way, for example. They might be shielding because they're vulnerable. Um, So there's so many reasons why it's the right thing to do. Uh, But I would also flag for people that, you know, want the, the, the business case fleshed out fully, if you make your products, whether it's a website, a digital marketing campaign, social media, um, mobile apps, whatever it is, if you want them to be supremely usable for every user, then you need to get on board with the, uh, those web accessibility guidelines or the equivalents for mobile, because then people who are using your um, accessing your content or functionality in extreme environments on their mobile phone who don't have a disability at all are going to find them easier to use as well. And that's because mm-hmm. everyone is, in effect, in very real terms, impaired on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. You know, we all slide up and down that scale of impairment as you're juggling your phone one-handed, uh, accessing a website on a sunny day on a small, yeah. shiny sheet of glass, um, you know, noisy cafe, bumpy bus, that sort of thing. So everybody when you're doing things in an inclusive way you're going to be improving it for everybody so mm-hmm. at AbilityNet we would certainly um, advocate for considering inclusion as being table stakes you know to make your products fit for purpose in a mobile first world you should um, build accessibility into into everything that you do otherwise you're just not going to be creating products that are fit for purpose mm-hmm. and you're not you know the only way you're going to be differentiated from your competitors is in a negative way because everybody's getting on board with it now since lockdown AbilityNet's delivery has you know gone through the roof it's probably about 160 170 percent of what it was this time last year wow. because everyone's focusing on digital mm-hmm. um and uh, Don has very kindly rescheduled this uh, recording slightly because, you know, I was just, I've, there's so many plates that were spinning here and um, I kind of uh, missed the, the beginning of the um, window that we had booked for this. And it's literally because, you know, um, there's so much interest in accessibility and inclusion, which is fantastic um, because it, it's a win-win for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you guys are, experiencing that the same as well um yeah that yeah that finally people are getting with the program that combined with the public sector regulations which i'm sure you guys have talked about on other podcasts mm-hmm. etc are really focusing the the minds of local authorities uh he um central government you know to the uh extent that you know they're finally really getting with the program and -hmm. engaging and I think that's absolutely fantastic I just wish the government would uh, give the Equality Act the same teeth as Mm. the PS bar has um, to proactively monitor websites and uh, that would make the other sectors sit up and listen as uh, you know get with the program as well. That could be the future, Robin. Um, You know, it's taken a (laughs) pandemic really, hasn't it? You know, to to really allow everyone to focus on, um, you know, digital and improve their digital services. But you mentioned uh, the 
Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I'm, I was gutted with, you know, Brexit was the guillotine that, you know, it's difficult to imagine that we're going to uh, incorporate other EU directives or legislation into UK mm -hmm. law anytime soon. Um, there's just probably not the appetite or maybe the opposite, you know, almost on principle, they're not going to do that. And obviously the European Accessibility uh, Act missed that guillotine. Mm -hmm. So that would have been the one just. that would have mm -hmm. given similar, uh, yeah, um, powers to, but they could still do it. You know, they could just do it themselves. And hopefully they're seeing that, that the public sector regs have made an impact so they should do it with uh, mm -hmm. with other sectors too. But yeah, yeah. sorry. Well, that's okay. We'll all keep flying the flag, Robin. So uh, hopefully the <laughs> government will, will listen, you know. Um, so listen, uh, just thinking about your own experiences, um, how do these inaccessible websites and apps really impact on you? And I'm thinking really about your working day and also, you know, activities outside of work. Yeah, I mean, for me as a blind person, it's absolutely essential that, you know, websites, for example, have some some of the basics. So headings, which uh, on web pages, you know, you've got a big heading at the top of the body of, of a page, which hopefully will be a sensible kind of summary of what the page is. Um, you've got subheadings underneath that. Now, visually, they're usually kind of differentiated, but it's really whether the developer has coded those properly and not just made them big and bold visually. So mm -hmm. you can, in you know, in markup in, in HTML, you can say, yeah, this is actually a heading. It's got a significance um, semantically, as it's called, you know, for, it's got meaning behind it. It's not just visually different. So a good heading structure, absolutely vital for someone like me who, the page, I only ever hear one thing at a time. So I don't take in a, a page visually in like a big swoop. Um, mm -hmm. For me, it's just reading, 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 like in a very linear way. So to be able to jump around by headings and get a quick flavor of what the page includes is absolutely vital. Um, images, obviously the web's a very visual place. So if I can have descriptions associated with images, that's another basic, you know, core requirement for me. Mm -hmm. um and you know access to to the links from the keyboard i'm in, in essence a keyboard user so if you can't just hit tab and see where your highlight is as you move down the page and see that it's in a sensible order then that your website's not going to be uh, friendly for me or for mm -hmm. keyboard only users or for people accessing it on a smart tv with their remote control when you're right arrowing through a website with your TV remote, you're you're actually hitting the tab key <laughs> in the browser. Um, mm -hmm. So you know there are so many overlaps where uh, it's really important if it speaks well. With um, many browsers have this kind of reader mode built in now, uh, where with a click of a button or the press of a key, you can reformat the page and strip out the nav and the ads and things like that. And that's an absolute gift. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've often got a button to just read linearly down through the page, which, you know, that's a blunt instrument, but still it's a nice uh, feature to have. Obviously, mm -hmm. being able to roam your mouse around and and have buttons and paragraphs and headings read what, that are under the mouse is a hundred times more useful um, but still to just be able to sit back and listen to an article being read is important and if that reads well with that reader mode then it's probably going to read okay for me with my speech output 
that I uh, use as a blind person. So there are many overlaps, many uh, multiple wins when you make your web uh, content inclusive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I sp- everything speaks to me. Um, JavaScript, you've I'm sure all heard of JavaScript. Mini programs that run on every single web page has got a bunch of JavaScript in there, and that's a movable feast when it comes to accessibility. So um, if you can test those, for example, from the keyboard. If you've got a carousel that keeps changing, um, can mm-hmm. you pause that using the keyboard? Can you um, tab through it using the keyboard? Then that's probably going to be okay for me as a blind person and obviously for a keyboard-only user, of which there are many. But, yeah, there's so many kind of mm-hmm. practical examples of the way that you can uh, improve the accessibility. I would probably point, because the 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 guidelines for web, the WCAG guidelines, web con- content accessibility guidelines, are not for the faint-hearted mm-hmm. by any means. But having said that, you know, there are some low-hanging fruit, some of the things that I've been mentioning now, which are relatively easy to test. But mm-hmm. I would point you at a, an article on the AbilityNet website. If you just search for the word sculpt, S-C-U-L-P-T, um, mm-hmm. then you can learn to sculpt a more accessible website it's basically a an acronym for um some of the top level well six of the top level things that are important and how you can test for them um and that was put together by a local authority and it's just a kind of a shorthand way of remembering the key elements and don't ask me what they are because i'll probably mm-hmm. blank <laughs> structure <laughs> I don't remember either of them, actually, because I know we talked about them in our last webinar, but I can't remember. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So um, have a look at those guys. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just search for Sculpt AbilityNet. AbilityNet is just one word um, on, you know, Google or wherever, and that article should come up. But that's, that's, I think, a really nice uh, shorthand because Mm -hmm. unless you're listening to this and your job is to you know, be an accessibility champion within your organization or a developer, coder, et cetera. Um, and it is literally your job to to check for WCAG compliance, then obviously you want to go to the to the source. But for most people, even if you're just creating a Word document, um, if you can have a quick look at the sculpt um, kind of summary and bear those in mind and um, do some easy wins like put the accessibility checker in the ribbon because we know we can customize the ribbon in office put that on the top level as a as a top level tab so that it's front and center so you can remember to to click it from time to time to to check for accessibility as well as spelling and grammar and that sort of thing and a lot of the hard work is done for you it'll just step you through in a kind of a wizard way um, to make sure that your document is accessible and pdfs are the you know, probably mm-hmm. the biggest challenge, particularly that the public sector um, are having to deal with, because they are obviously included in the in the regulations in a kind yeah. of a prioritised way. Um, They're everywhere. They absolutely are, and luckily, though, I hope nobody from Adobe is going to listen to this. <laughs> but luckily, um, the support for PDFs in something like Microsoft Edge are brilliant, and in Chrome, but Edge is a much slimmer. Um, browser you know anyone that's got chrome running if you look at your kind of task 
manager, you'll see that it's taking like 90% of your CPU, you know, and if you're on a laptop, then it'll half your battery life if you've got Chrome open the whole time. Microsoft Edge has the Chromium engine, so you'll get exactly the same surfing experience, but it is a, you know, it's a less bloated, hungry program. So, and that is a brilliant PDF uh, reader, and I think you can annotate on it as well. But um, if you are creating PDFs, say, from a Word document, then that's a really good place to start because you can check for accessibility with the checker. You can then just do save as PDF and all that hard work will be transferred over mm-hmm. to the PDF. So, you know, you can obviously do it in InDesign and stuff like that. Uh, it's a very complicated, in-depth mm-hmm. process to mark up a, an existing PDF. Yeah. Which is why the regulations give you some grace period to eat into your PDF archive um, <laughs> on your website. But yeah, PDFs have historically been a real challenge yeah. from an inclusion point of view. And they are there. They take such a long time to try and mark up and make them more accessible. You know, I think a lot of organisations are trying to, um, you know, move away from PDFs now, you know, where they can and maybe have the information hosted on a web page instead which makes it much more accessible um yeah, so you know the, so. the impact of inaccessibility really does affect millions of people um you know looking at some of the stats there globally one in seven people have a registered disability and for many really the barriers that websites and apps present can make the digital world that many of us take for granted inaccessible so it really is important for organizations to consider accessibility for diverse users you know, from those uh, with visual impairments to those with neurodiverse conditions, such as dyslexia, for example. So, Robin, let's take a look at what organisations can do to be more inclusive of such a large audience. And really what we want to start with is, uh, you know, thinking about your own experiences. What are some of the most common inaccessibility issues that you find when you're navigating the web? You know, let's say, what would your top three uh, issues be? Yeah, I mean, unlabeled images and buttons. Mm. So um, I've touched upon unlabeled images. This is particularly challenging on a website that um, is uh, e-commerce, a retail website like Amazon or Sainsbury's or whatever it might be, where you've got potentially thousands or tens of thousands of or maybe millions when it comes to Amazon. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. Images of products. And for me, they are often a really long string um, with .jpg or whatever at the end. And that that can be hundreds of characters long. And, you know, we would have to to listen to that as we're reading down through the page. So Mm. um, if you're not going to provide alternative text, then, you know, at least make sure that the software doesn't expose that massive long file name because that can, you know, slow you down significantly. Thankfully, with thing, you know, a website like Amazon, which actually in many other respects is very usable, very accessible. Um, thankfully, you know, there's a lot of other information on that page about the product. Um, so, you know, it's not a showstopper that you don't have the image. But um, when it comes to e-learning in particular, uh, which is very, obviously, very important and salient at the moment with homeschooling and stuff, um, you know, often they are, there's no text alternative description given to the visual content in an e-learning module um you know there's there's very little in the way of describing what the visuals are by the the person delivering the the lesson or whatever Mm -hmm. um and obviously from a 
hearing point of view there would need to be captioning and all that sort of thing so you know that that's really really challenging particularly when e-learning is something that is delivered live or is you know building up a, a bank of resources that people need to refer back to so it is a challenge you know and a lot of people listening to this podcast say are thinking you know I've got a day job so how can I squeeze this in as well we're totally aware that that is a challenge just to say that the you know just like you wouldn't publish uh, or share a document or whatever that hasn't been spell checked we kind of need to get to that point you don't begrudge doing the spell check now i know that you know you've got a full day of work and so you're going we're asking you to to build in other things you know on top of the spell check or whatever um mm. but it it will sooner or later get to the point where you know that's it's recognized that that is what you need to do to create good content content that's fit for purpose and um that will just be you know how you'll roll and it will become quicker and easier and uh, the more that we do it the more it'll just be muscle memory and it'll just be part of what we do so um we do need a prioritization within within organizations and when we work at AbilityNet, we we do um, website audits and disabled user testing. When we work with organisations that take it seriously, then we see their websites improving. And I am a customer of some of those, so I mm. actually see benefits. You know, personally myself, um, enabling me to then you know shop with that organisation, give them my money, etc. And one really useful process that we're now engaging. Uh, an increasing number of organizations in is called the digital accessibility maturity model because mm. uh, many organizations they have the will and they want to become better but they're it's very piecemeal or they don't know how to take a strategic approach to building in best practice you know which bodies do you need to get involved what resources do you need to make available to who how do you prioritize the you know the different areas that you need to nibble away at to get really you know much better at accessibility than you are at the moment and mm -hmm. this dam digital accessibility maturity model that we can uh, talk people through other organizations have their own versions as well um this is one that we've optimized we think it's um a really really useful approach there is um we can provide organizations with the structure for them to self uh, analyze and and set their own actions or we can help people through it as well with a, a couple of online sessions with the right bodies in the virtual room um, but yeah we would definitely point people at a maturity model that will help them uh, bring together all of the different elements that you know need to be put in place to make an organization do this really well and not mm -hmm. in a kind of a firefighting or a piecemeal way where yeah you know we're, we're we're improving but um you know i think accessibility is hard so you know we we don't know where we are on the journey or whatever um mm -hmm. because it, it is a complex situation as i'm sure you're aware as well mm -hmm. i mean <clears throat> ultimately robin i think where we all want to be is that you know thinking about accessible accessibility becomes second nature you know just like you do check for the spelling and grammar errors that you mentioned yeah uh, checking for all yeah. those other things just is something that we just do and we don't think about it as an add-on. Um, so, I mean, that really gives us an understanding as where organisations might begin uh, when improving their online experiences. But I want to look beyond the web for a second and think about 
the entire customer journey. Um, how accessible or inaccessible do you find other communication channels drop on like uh, social media platforms, uh, digital ads even, or emails that we use every day? Yeah, I think the more ephemeral the product, the um, thing, the less people are going to be inclined to take time to make it inclusive. Luckily, email, for example, is pretty text-based. Um, obviously, any copy that you write, any um, words that you put down, you could think for from a kind of a um, literacy point of view. And as you guys are very well aware, you know, literacy is, is a significant challenge, not just for people with uh, recognized diagnosis of dyslexia for example but you know mm -hmm. what is it 25 percent of the population have a uh, under 12 reading age or i can't remember what the, the stat is but you know you can't assume that everyone's going to know you know people take pride in using the right words mm -hmm. and sometimes those words can be quite um erudite you know but we would say if you could look at the plain english guidelines that are out there if you search for plain english it's a thing um then it's saying, you know, use a good old fashioned Anglo-Saxon word instead of a Greek or Latin one where you can, you know, let's think about um, readability. It's it's supremely important. So mm -hmm. um, that goes for everything that you write from the web to emails to your social media posts, etc. In social media, you've got a lot of kind of stuff smushed together in hashtags and, you know, writing things in a shorthand way and stuff like that. That can be really problematic for me with my screen reader. You know, if you've got a hashtag, which is several lowercase words all pushed together, then it tries to pronounce it as a whole word. <laughs> Whereas if you go camel case and put um, capitals at the beginning of each word, if that isn't going to obstruct legibility too much for other stakeholders, then that would certainly help me because then it's all spoken properly as, as separate words, even though they're smushed together. Yeah. Um so, yeah, there are lots of challenges with social media because even though Twitter has the ability to add an alternative text description to every image that you post, nobody does, you know. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, it's understandable. Um, but there are, you know, the, the WCAG guidelines and Sculpt will kind of point you at what you need to consider for whatever document you're creating, um, regardless of the platform. Uh, one other point to make on copy is if you want to take something from the page and put it on the web then you should cut it down by half some people mm. say a third because it's not the same medium and people aren't used to reading such long form articles on the web a lot of people have a kind of a summary of the article at the top you know tldr mm -hmm. um in case people can't read the whole thing uh, and if you're looking at mobile which many mm. you know you, you can almost assume that you know when you're drafting you're drafting for mobile as well then you should actually cut it down further still so really distill it right down to the essence if you can and that's going to help a whole range of people yeah i can see that already you know there are hashtags that you mentioned on social can be really hard to see you know without capitalizing <laughs> the individual words for everyone i think uh, robin you mentioned readability there. I think in the UK, the uh, average reading age is nine years old, which is wow. unbelievable when you hear it out loud, really, isn't it? So that's really the age that we should be trying to write for, mostly, if we can. Yeah, 
Totally. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not dumbing down. That's not what we're asking for. We're asking mm-hmm. for, um, I mean, look at the plain English guidelines, basically, um, because they say it very nicely. It's about um, straightforward language that is still appropriate. Yeah, we don't talk down to our audience, but at the mm-hmm. same time, um, don't assume that they will know, you know that they'll have a massive vocabulary. Uh, and also, it'll just make it more more readable. And people have very short attention spans these days. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, especially when reading web copy, I think. <laughs> so listen, there definitely sounds like there's lots of scope for improvement across uh, a lot of digital channels, Robin. Um, so taking all that into consideration, what would your key piece of advice be to organisations as they work to create accessible experiences? I think prioritising the um, give, empowering individuals for whom you know it's part of their job to give them the the time and the resources and the um, support that they need to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I'd point that back to the maturity model because you do need to have a mature implementation towards this within an organization. Um, every individual can go away and do something as simple as, you know, making sure that the accessibility checker in office is part of their kind of just what they do. Um, mm-hmm. So there's some, some practical things, but yeah, I mean, the um, Valuable 500 organization, uh, Caroline Casey, they're doing a brilliant job of making sure that organizations are at least aware that you need to have disability along with the other um, groups in the diversity kind of festival that we're all enjoying at the moment, you know, LGBTQ, BAME, et cetera, um, that disability is also in that group because mm-hmm. it needs to be. Um, but we're often the kind of forgotten cousin um in the in the parade so um they are making sure that um people try and prioritize it at sea level meetings get it on the board agenda regularly Mm -hmm. so if people want to see if their organization can sign up for the valuable 500 it's basically just a way of committing to making sure that they prioritize accessibility sufficiently because mm-hmm. you can have loads of people within an organization with the best of intentions but unless they've there's a sort of a strategic um org-wide approach mm-hmm. then you know what happens if that person leaves or what happens if higher up a decision is made which means that oh they're not able to use that particular tool anymore because they've rolled something else out which you know so it 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 mustn't be piecemeal anymore it needs to be strategic and it needs to be both top down as well as bottom up because there's a lot of passionate people at the bottom who are um doing great things but Mm -hmm. it needs to be uh done on a much more strategic level yeah bigger voice really isn't that right Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we're there now, you know, um, COVID has focused everyone's mind on digital. Um, Mm -hmm. If you don't do things in an inclusive way, there can be a lot of very ugly, hairy fallout from that. And, you know, we've seen the likes of Teams and Zoom Mm -hmm. um, supremely prioritise accessibility and hence gained the traction that they had because, Mm -hmm. you know, organisations that are having to accommodate their every single employee working from home regardless of what their particular uh diversity needs are um Mm -hmm. if you roll out a key platform that is going to be core to their delivery uh on a day-to-day basis that that you know 
maybe even like 10 or 20% of the organization are going to have trouble with and mm-hmm. that is illegal <laughs> to put it bluntly then um you know that's not a decision that they're going to make lightly and hence they've they've kind of focused in on these ones that have done a really good job although mm-hmm. there are loads of others out there you know we're talking on google meet here um and luckily that's that's inclusive mm-hmm. so um you know there are other options as well but it's no coincidence that the the main two um, have prioritised accessibility. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully everyone else will just follow suit, Robin. Um, listen, that's really useful. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, so at AbilityNet, I know you have a real focus on helping to build more accessible, a more accessible digital world, sorry. And I know you work with many organisations to support them to design better for accessibility and usability. So when clients approach you for services, are there any common challenges that these businesses experience when they're striving to be more inclusive? And if there are, what advice would you give to help overcome some of these uh, common challenges? We tend to get organisations who are already kind of bought in, although budget is often the challenge that they um, so they they want to be inclusive. They're not 100 percent sure how to go about it. Um, they have partic- maybe one or two projects kind of for front and centre that they want to focus on, but they are aware that there's a much broader kind of hinterland of questionable or or, or kind of digital properties and, uh, you know, infrastructure that has a big question mark over how inclusive that is, and they're not 100% sure. Um, So they're kind of at the beginning of the journey um, but yet they're they're um, already bought in. So, you know, people that approach us are kind of already on that page, mm-hmm. but they are usually um, one team or even one individual um, and they don't have the kind of corporate backing that they need to make sure it's properly resourced, prioritised and, uh, you know, embodied into the organization so as AbilityNet we often worked historically with organizations on a project by project basis and they might come back 18 months later with another project and even within the same team and there hadn't been you know the um the best practice approach that we kind of pointed out in our reports from the you know audit and disabled user testing the first time round mm-hmm. hadn't resulted in changes in the tools that they use or in the kind of way that they build their their digital properties etc so it was on a very kind of ad hoc basis we're definitely moving away from that now towards a knowledge transfer kind of mm. idea and the bot you know that our ultimate goal as a charity is to get to the point where they don't need us anymore so mm. we want that knowledge transfer so that's part of that maturity model process that we go through um it we do an awful lot of training now much more than we used to because i think the the, you know the main challenge that an organization has is that they've got one thing in front of them this particular project they've got a certain amount of budget that may or may not be um Mm -hmm. sufficient to kind of help them realize inclusion on that project but there needs to be a much bigger approach so um and we're seeing a lot of people a lot of traction in in um helping organizations have a a much deeper relationship with those organizations because they appreciate that um it's not it hasn't been on the right footing up Mm -hmm. until now so Mm -hmm. yeah i think the biggest challenge is that it's only ever the project that they've got in front of them 
mm-hmm. uh, but yeah that is that is changing so we would definitely invite organizations to have a look at what information there is on the AbilityNet website. That's abilitynet.org.uk. Um, but also to just drop us a line uh, or give us a bell and we can talk through how, even if you haven't got a particular project in mind, you know, how mm-hmm. to wheedle, you know, how to kind of get the process um start the start of the process happening within mm-hmm. their organization so that in a X months down the line they'll be in a much better position to um, have, you know, the internal expertise that they need to to do things as part of their day job. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's the biggest hurdle, I think, Robin, is it? It's starting. A lot of organisations are, are nervous about, you know, taking that first step. So with a bit of guidance, you know, and setting them on the right path, um, it becomes a little yeah. bit easier than once it started. So, and we would uh, also, think, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I would just say we would also flag that from a, a, an employee point of view as well, we're equally at, about um, empowering employees and helping line managers and HR, et cetera. And we've got a number of solutions that can help there too, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing valuing your disabled customers, but what about your employees as well? Yeah, um, so that's very much part of the discussion that we would want to have around mm-hmm making sure that you've got the right feedback mechanisms, the right support um, in place to make sure that, you know, and we, we know um, health and safety executive have done research just to say that teams that have disabled members in, you know, in the workplace, they're happier teams, they're more productive, they mm-hmm. take less sick leave, et cetera. So the more diversity mm-hmm. you can build into your organization, um, mm-hmm. the, the better it's going to be. And, you know, valuing your disabled employees is at the very heart of that. Mm-hmm. So, Robin, when it comes to embedding inclusivity across a whole organisation then, so thinking outside of websites and digital channels, do you have any advice that would help organisations to achieve this? Yep. So as far as um, there's external and internal, and I've, we've kind of covered both, but from an external point of view, you do need to have a mature approach to it. So mm-hmm. if you're not away where you are on that kind of spectrum, then uh, something like a, a disability uh, digital accessibility maturity model, um, if you just Google that, or if you talk to us about it, then that is a, a, a very um, step-by-step process to get to the point where you you know where you are, you've got a roadmap, You've got key, you know, clear action points assigned to clear bodies uh, to to improve that to get to the point where you're doing really well on an external point of view. Internally, yeah, we can talk about that as well. We can do uh, workplace assessments for individuals, but we can also point at solutions that will mean that will make you undertake a similar process internally as well. And there's a brilliant company called Clear. The Clear company are. Mm-hmm diversity um, experts when it comes to to recruitment and also kind of internal best practices as well. There's a brilliant online solution called Clear Talents. That's all one word um, that they and AbilityNet have jointly created where every employee can create a Clear Talents profile. You can go to cleartalents.com and it doesn't just cover disability it covers all the nine protected characteristics plus you know nutrition you can report whether you've you know what you what your um dietary requirements are whether it's halal or not allergy or whatever it might be through to a full dse display screen equipment um 
evaluation module as well. And you, everyone can freely create a profile there and their line manager will get the reasonable adjustments in a report that they can then discuss with them to put into place. So that's really powerful too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, there was um, a very strong need identified to try and help automate the process of reasonable adjustment within an organization because there's a lot of fear in recruiters, in line managers, in HR, in doing the wrong thing. And there's an awful lot of litigation out there. There's a Mm. lot of um, compromise agreements and tribunals and, um, you know, medical retirement and stuff going on. Uh, So that's that's a challenge as well. Yeah, and they don't always meet uh, or make the headlines, so we don't always get to hear about them. Absolutely. And I would also say that on their website compliance as well, there are mm. legal challenges going on all the time here in the UK. They get settled out of court and part of the settlement, which, you know, the payment to the individual who has um, been uh, disenfranchised by an inaccessible app or website, part of that requirement is that um, they don't disclose. So there's an NDA around that which is why they don't make the headlines either so yeah i don't think that the law isn't being enforced by not by the government except in the public sector area but by either individuals or organizations like the rnib bringing Mm -hmm. a class action a group of users uh, together to uh, take an organization to court Mm-hmm. It definitely happens. You know, we hear the headlines from the states probably more than we do in yeah. the UK. You know, with yeah. um, you know various organisations, even Beyonce and uh, Nike yep. have been uh, sued, haven't they? But um, you know, so it really Domino's is last year. Domino's, I mean, they right. talk about brand, you know, bad optics. They they pushed back, and then it went to the regional court. They pushed back, saying no, we still want to appeal. Went to the Supreme Court. They were basically yeah. taking you know, saying, no, we don't think we should make our app and website accessible for a blind person. Uh, We're going to take this right to the top. Of course, the the Supreme Court um, still upheld the the local court's initial ruling, because obviously it's a a requirement under uh, US law, Section 508. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they did well for themselves brand-wise, didn't they? (laughs) Didn't they? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Well, listen, it is a no-brainer, really. You know, when you think about it, the outcomes are clearly uh, worth it for everyone. Um, but when we talk about web accessibility, you've touched on this already, we're not just talking about disability. And I know, uh, AbilityNet, uh, Robin, you say that web accessibility is also about universality. Can you maybe explain to our listeners what you mean by this? Yeah, I mean, I kind of talked about this before, where um, the accessibility guidelines, the word accessibility is obviously, you know, talking about access for people that have a particular disability or impairment. But we think that that's potentially not a useful phrase anymore because the word accessibility um, has got a lot of baggage associated with it. You know, it's this extra work we've got to do for those disabled people over there. And, you know, they're not a particularly big group and they haven't got a lot of disposable income, all of which aren't true, by the way. And the purple pound something like 250 billion in the UK. Um, So, you know, none of that's true, but that's kind of the baggage that's associated with it. And it's this bolt-on exercise. And, you know, if it's bolt-on, then you don't do it as part of your day job. You do it at the very end when often it is problematic because you haven't considered it earlier and now you're having to try and retrofit it. And anything that's bolt-on, you know, when push comes to shove, it can be dropped off because it's Mm -hmm. not core. It's like on the side. So 
yes, the guidelines have the word accessibility in it, whether it's for the web or for mobile. But if you think about them as being um, the the way of making your products more inclusive for every user, and I touched upon that before, you know, making your products accessible will make them easier to use for everyone who are, you know, computing on the edge with their phones in extreme uh, environments or just make them more usable, you know, because if it's easier to read for someone with dyslexia, if it's easier to understand for someone with a learning difficulty, if it's nice and visible for someone with low vision, just think how easy it's going to be to understand, read, process for people that don't have an mm-hmm. impairment. So you're actually going to end up with something that is extremely usable. And the RNIB did some research a while ago where they looked at a number of websites that um, were compliant to single A. Now, double A is the, the kind of legal threshold, but these were just single A compliant, which is the very highest priority issues. If your website doesn't comply with some of the single A criteria, then, you know, f- for me as a blind person, I'm not even going to be able to get past the homepage probably. You know, it's the equivalent of not having a ramp up into the front door of a building for someone in a wheelchair. You know, it's a showstopper basically. So they were single A compliant and they had a bunch of blind users um, who were comparing those to sites that weren't single A. And, you know, obviously they found them, they were able to use them better than than the sites that weren't. But the real key finding were uh, that they had a control group of able-bodied testers, because in good research, that's what you do. You have a control group as well as the kind of target group. Mm-hmm. And the control group were able to um, perform the tasks that were, you know, part of the testing on the sites that that met single A compliance that were moderately accessible compared to the ones that weren't at all, um, on average, 35% more quickly. So for for people that have absolutely no impairment at all, if you make your um, products more inclusive, everyone's going to benefit, you know, by, and that was back on, desktop browsers so you know you could just imagine a smaller screen that 35% might go to 50% you know it might be twice as fast for somebody to be able to access um content uh, or your your services so there's a massive usability bonus for every single user particularly now in this kind of extreme computing age so yeah um i would flip it round not use the word accessibility anymore mm-hmm. talk about digital inclusion it's not just for disabled people. In fact, because disabled people are the minority of the people that will be benefiting, you could almost argue that it's not for disabled people. We're just the um, most kind of benefited individuals because mm-hmm. we're going to be able to use it when we otherwise might not be able to use it at all. But actually do it for every single user. You mm-hmm. know, why Why just target 80%? Let's push that right up to the high 90s to make sure that everyone's being able to access the content and everyone's having a really lovely, delightful experience at the same time. Mm-hmm. Just think about the Uber app, you know, that needs to be supremely usable for people that have had a good night out. This is before COVID, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, if you've had a few drinks, just think how very... Oh. Um, advanced the usability has to be on that website for you able to, be, mm-hmm. to be, for you to be able to successfully get home um, so you know it, it could be a game changer for so many people to make sure that your products are inclusive so yeah let's flip it through 180 let's call it digital inclusion or inclusive design and mm-hmm. 
make us be doing it for every single user. And then Mm -hmm. that approach unlocks the resources because now it's for everyone. It has to be part of your day job because it's for everyone. It's not a bolt on. So it can't be dropped off because it's for every single user. So that's what mm-hmm. we'd like to see. Yeah. So essentially, you know, the information online should be usable, um, you know, by everyone, regardless of the devices that they're using or any disabilities or challenges or impairments that they may be experiencing, because it's the whole group that we we should be considering. Yeah. Or how busy they are or how distracted they are or how distracting the environment is, you know, whatever it is you need to push the envelope towards making something supremely usable um, to benefit everyone. Great. Okay. Well, listen, Robin, that pretty much brings us to the end of the session, would you believe? Um, It's really great uh, chatting with you again. You always have really good insights to share. Thank you so much. I absolutely love talking about this stuff because, you know, I'm, so passionate about it because it's it's done so much for me and that sounds quite selfish but you can't help but be grateful and um you know passionate when it has meant everything mm-hmm. for you know for yourself um and you see it all around you i mean ability net we are a coal-faced organization in as much as you know we've got disabled employees we work with disabled people every day so we it's very real to us how important this is and how it's changing people's lives. Um, So we just want people to appreciate that this is an important thing. It's important enough for you to go away having heard this and do whatever you can. And whatever that is, it's more than nothing. So, you know, whether it's just running that spell check, uh, accessibility checker, or whether it's going to seek out the disability champions within your organization um, or searching for accessibility on your intranet, whatever it might be, you know, we would love people to feel as as passionately um, involved in making the world a more inclusive place as we do here. Great. Okay. Uh, Well, listen, Robin, do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave with our listeners? I know you mentioned a couple of uh, great tools there, like the Sculpt uh, acronym that you talked about. Um, is there anywhere that you'd like to point anybody to find out more about these great things that you've mentioned? Um, we do monthly webinars where we talk to uh, global accessibility um, leads. So I'm not sure when this is going out, but on the 19th, um, it, no, it's not the 19th, it's the 16th. Uh, February. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to Sarah Herlinger of Apple. She's head of accessibility there. Um, She's got a longer title, but that is what she is pretty much. Um, And so, yeah, each month we talk to different. I've talked to Jenny Leigh Flurry, who's head of accessibility at Microsoft. I've spoken to Google, et cetera. So please do check that out. And you can go to abilitynet.org.uk slash accessibility dash insights and or just search for it on the uh website i'm sure it'll be flagged from the homepage as well actually and slash training is the definite place to go to to see what very affordable or free training we have that can take you a really long way on the journey to um becoming you know a real passionately engaged person when it comes to digital inclusion so i'd, I'd definitely point you at slash training as well awesome. and slash webinars oh. is oh, yeah. another place where yeah slash webinars is um probably the go-to place for for other webinars that we have as well lovely that's great 
All right, Robin, I think that really is us for today. So uh, just to our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about web accessibility, um, obviously there's lots of resources on the uh, AbilityNet uh, website that Robin has just gone through, but you can also head over to our resources page where you'll find tons of other useful information and guides and webinars to help you on your journey. So you can go to text.help forward slash accessibility for that. And of course, you can reach out to us directly for more information. Our contact details will be on the website. So finally, if you have enjoyed our chat today, you can listen again by subscribing to Text Help Talks on wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to share the podcast with your friends, your colleagues, and anyone who you think would benefit from our expert insights. Uh, thanks again to Robin, and thanks to you for listening. So bye for now. Thanks, guys.